why is it that when we talk about the wedding, everything is happy and chipper and like all like flowery and fluffy, and then you decide you're going to do a series on marriage, and we got like scary music. Like, what is that? It's like, it's like, what? What is going on? So I don't know what's going on with all that, but it's like, <laughs> welcome to the marriage series, marriage. It's like, wow. So listen, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've come in with today. And some of you are like, oh, great. I'm coming to a marriage thing. And my, my wife twisted my arm. And now I just want to punch myself in the face. Okay, listen, there will be no punching of oneself in the face. Come on, right hand raise. No, don't do it. No, seriously, you guys, listen, I'm so excited about the vow. Contrary to the music, I'm telling you, I'm excited to be in this series that we're calling the vow for the next four weeks because we are drilling down into the heart of marriages. It's true, isn't it? I mean, the wedding is fluffy and it's flowery and there's frilly stuff and it's the whole deal, you know, and the kid and the thing and the, the rose petals and the deal. And then it's like we get into marriage and it's like this... You know, just like for so many of us, I think expectations aren't what we thought it was going to be, and we start to bottom out. So whether you've been married, you know, three months, three years, 13 years, 35 years, it doesn't matter. Here's what I want us to know. I want us to know that the Bible has so much to say about marriage. And God is a God of hope, and God is a God of peace, and He is a God of joy, and He wants to begin to infuse into our marriages hope and joy peace like crazy in spite of the intro music that's what god wants to do so listen i don't know if you're here and this is like your first time and you're like dude i don't it was cool until like all of a sudden it was like the what music was like what is going on listen if so let me just set you mind your mind at ease my name's matt i'm your friend i'm here to help <laughs> all right we're glad you're here so you guys we're talking about marriage and let's be honest over the last 15 months or so once the economy crashed Marriages have taken a hit, haven't they? I mean, think about it. <laughs> Growing up, I remember hearing people say, ain't no problem like a money problem. Come on. I'm t- <laughs> and some of our marriages have felt that, haven't we? Man, we have felt the strain. We have felt the pull. We felt the tension. And, and if we're being honest with ourselves, some of us right now feel like our marriage is on the rocks. We're feeling like our marriage is hanging on by a thread. We feel like this is not what I signed up for. And I'm scared or I'm angry or I'm frustrated, or I've had it. But I want you to know, we recognize here at Next Level Church that it's marriages that are feeling the tension. It is marriages in our culture today that are feeling the strain that the economy has put on us. And here's what I think. I think we've got a few options. One option is we can just kind of run from marriage altogether, and some people in our culture are doing that. I will never get married. I'm just going to live with people. Okay, that's cool. Whatever. That's not an option for us. The second option is we bury our head in the sand and we go, well, you know, I'm just going to close my eyes and hold my breath and stick my head in the sand and hope that in a few years the trend turns around. But see, I think there's a third option. And that third option is what we at Next Level Church are about to explore for the next four weeks. And that is we're going to, we're going to engage this thing called marriage head on. 
Because I believe that the marriage is represented in this room. The marriage is represented across Southwest Florida. The marriage is represented across our country are worth it. They're worth fighting for. They're worth pushing into. They're worth not just forsaking and running the other way. They're worth not just sticking our head in the sand. The marriages represented here today are worth us fighting for. And for the last few weeks, guys, you've heard me talking about how we believe God's positioned us as a church to lead in our city, to lead in our region of the country. And I want you to know that the place that we're going to start leading, we're going to start lifting people in Southwest Florida is at home. Because I believe that if we can't get it right at home, if we can't dial it in at home, if it ain't working at home, baby, it ain't working anywhere. So if we're going to lift this city, if we're going to lift our cities out of this funk that we find ourselves in, it's going to start by zeroing in, by zooming in, not running for the hills, not sticking our head in the sand, but driving in and saying, okay, let's do it. Let's fight for the marriages of Next Level Church. Let's fight for the marriages of Lee County. Let's fight for the marriages and the families of Southwest Florida and our nation. So I'm glad you're here. I hope that you'll prioritize these four weeks. Because I believe God wants to speak to us. If you're single, let me say a quick word to you. Because there's a good chance that right now you're probably like, okay, where's the nearest exit? Or like you're checking your Blackberry and you're going, man, there ain't nothing here for me type of thing. Okay, but listen, before you tune me out, before you zoom out, or before you zone out and you're like, man, this is a marriage thing and I'm not into that or whatever. Before you stay away, can I just encourage you single people? Some of you single people are single because you were in a marriage once and it didn't work. And I believe that a lot of the things we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks have everything to do with you. Some of you are single, and you're expecting that next chapter to come someday, and you're believing God for it, and you're hoping that God will bring you that person. And I think that what we're talking about over these next few weeks has everything to do with you, and will position you and set you up for amazing success in the next season when God brings it. And others of you who are single, you're single, and you're kind of like, I don't really know, Matt, if I'm ever going to marry again. But here's what I know. I know that each one of our lives influenced somebody else. And I have a feeling that so much of what we're going to be talking about today and over the course of this series in the next few weeks is transferable. It's not just good for us. It doesn't just speak to us. But I believe that God will depart things into us that we in future weeks, months, and years will be able to depart into somebody else. So if you're single, I hope you won't zoom out and zone out and check your Twitter If you don't know what Twitter is, I'm not being dirty. (laughs) I don't feel awkward at all. What's what's going on? (laughs) I'm just filtering jokes. (laughs) Hang on. And no. Okay. So here's the deal. Each week we're going to be talking about one of four different vows that each and every one of us need to make. And we're going to be zeroing in in a marriage context to each one of these vows. Well, today is part one. And we're going to be talking about the vow of priority. The vow of priority. If you have your bulletin there and you want to take some notes, I'd love for you to write some stuff down. That makes me think that you're listening and I appreciate that. If you have your Bible, if you turn with me to the book of Matthew, that's where we're going to land. Because here's why. Because today we're talking about the vow of priority. The vow of priority. When my wife and I, uh, some of you know our story, uh, if you've been around Next Level for a while, my wife and I don't have um, what would be considered a typical, a typical, uh, we, our relationship didn't start 
like a lot of relationships today start. Our, our story is atypical, and that is we, we became boyfriend and girlfriend because we weren't allowed to date. So uh, her dad didn't buy that. Um, we became boyfriend uh, when, we were, when we were teenagers. And my wife and I dated for five and a half years before we got married. And so at, at, I'm 34, she's 32. At, at 34 and 32 years of age, we've now been together in our life longer than we were apart. And so God has allowed us to, to, to basically grow up together. I mean, we spent the last 18 and a half years of our life together between dating for five and a half years and then being married for, for 12 years. And so I, we recognize that in our story, uh, it, there's a lot of people look on, you know, and, and they go, well, that's, you know, that's atypical today that, man, I wish I would have found the one, you know, when I was a teenager. And a lot of times we'll be out with someone and we'll be telling our story and people say that to us. They'll say, man, you guys are so lucky, <laughs> lucky, you guys are so blessed, that you know that you found the one at such a young age man i wish god would have let me find the one at such a young age and it's always interesting for us because when someone says that to us we always kind of look at each other and you know exchange a glance and kind of chuckle because we understand what they're saying but see what what sarah and i have have understood since we were teenagers is that people who say man you guys are so blessed to have found the one at such a young age is they don't understand that by declaring that they're right and at the same time they're wrong because they think they're talking about us finding each other, Matt finding Sarah, Sarah finding Matt, the one. But Sarah and I understand that if there's one secret to success, if there's one thing in Matt and Sarah Keller that has given us just an unbelievable marriage over the last 12 and a half years, an unbelievable relationship over the better part of our lifetime already, It's that as teenagers, yes, we found the one. But the one is not the person we're married to. The one that we found was Jesus. And he is the reason why we are what we are today. And so when someone looks at us and says, man, it must be great to have found the one so early, we just have to laugh because we understand that the one is not the person we're married to. The one, as we're about to discover from Scripture, is Jesus. See, I think in the Bible, there's this, there's this very clear direction from, from God about who he wants the one to be. You know, our culture is kind of crazy about this whole finding the one thing. Have you ever, anybody noticed that? That it's like, you know, like our culture is obsessed. And single people, some of you, listen, this is a word for you today. Because our culture obsesses about the one. You know what I'm talking about? Like single people, some of you, you're like out on a date with a guy and it's like your first date or it's a girl or you're at a bar and you meet somebody and what's the thought that just starts running through you? You're like, could he be the one? Could, could she, she smell good? Could she be the one? Like, you know what I mean? Like our culture obsesses, well, have you found the one? Or you hear people whose marriage went south and they go, well, I guess it must not have been the one. And it's like, like our culture obsesses on this. But watch this. If there's anything that I hope we can get as, an, as a foundational premise or priority of this series is this, that in Scripture, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus wants to be the one. And Jesus wants our spouse to be the two. Jesus wants to be the one, and Jesus wants our spouse to be the two. There's a story in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, where, where Jesus is in the prime of his ministry, and some of these religious guys, they come up to Jesus, and they're trying to, they're trying to catch him. You know, they're trying to catch him off guard, and they're trying to, to get him to say something that contradicts so that they can be like, ha-ha, got you, sucker. So they're trying, to, they're trying to sabotage Jesus. And they walk up, and they, they're in this conversation, and they basically say, okay, Jesus... Of all of the law, of all of the commandments, of all of of the things that we're supposed to do, and there were hundreds and hundreds of commandments in the religious tradition, of all of these things, Jesus, 
which one is most important? And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, we find Jesus' reply. Look at what he says. The Pharisees look at him and they say, Jesus, of, of all of this stuff, if you could boil it down, what is most important? And look at Jesus' reply, verse 37. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus says, listen, if you're going to do anything, if you want to boil the whole teachings of Jesus down to one idea, one big concept that will help all of mankind forever throughout the globe, here it is. Make God the one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then in verse 39, he goes on and he tells us the two. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, listen, if you want to get this right, if you want to get your marriage right, if you want to get your life right, then this is the beginning, middle, and end, baby. This is where it all comes down to. God is the one, your spouse, and everything else in your life is under that. God wants it to be clear. And so Jesus doesn't mince words right here. He is like, listen, this is it. And can I just make this this application for us who are married people? Listen, too many marriages fall off the tracks right here because they allow something or someone to take the place of God and their relationship with God as the number one in their life. And listen, if you're taking notes, here's number two. Anytime a marriage has trouble, guys, listen, it's always because the priorities are out of line. Anytime a marriage has trouble, it is always because the priorities are out of line. And let's be honest. We live in a world that is warring to be the one in our life. Attack and pressure Temptation like crazy wars against us morning, noon, and night, doesn't it? To bump our relationship with God out of the number one spot and to replace it with children, to replace it with our spouse, to replace it with our job, our career. Some of our kids are are in the one spot. Or, you know, you meet a couple and they're just cruising along and they're great and then all of a sudden they have the baby. And all of a sudden, their friendships suffer, their relationship with God suffers. Why? Because everything, it's like, well, oh yeah, yeah, I know you haven't seen us for 14 years. We had a baby. (laughs) I meet people with like four or six kids, and I'm just like, here's $20. You people are superheroes. I don't know how you do this. I was like, what is going? People are going to be lining up at the end, being like, hey, I have six kids. Can I have $20? (laughs) You need $20. You ever meet anybody where it's just like, it's just like, they're kids. They, they, they are a child-centered life, aren't they? And they're just going and going and going and going and going. And they're from this activity to this sport to this thing to this band to this. And well, I got to expose them to everything, really. And they've placed their children in the one spot in their life. For some of us, it is our spouse. And we're consumed with making her happy or, or keeping him content or meeting his or her needs or their, their desires. And, and we've placed our spouse in the one spot. Others of us, it's our career. 
And it, there's this thing, this, this drive in us that says, I got to get to the top. I got to make it to the top and I got to get to the top and make it to the top and have all of the stuff that we think the top provides 15 years faster than my mom and dad did. I study generations a lot. And listen, if there's any danger, in my opinion, of my generation, it is that we want everything that the baby boomer, our parents' generation had. We want the house. We want the cars. We want the status. We want the job. We want the time. We want the time off. We want it all. And we want it in half the time, and we don't want to work. But half is hard. And all the baby boomers said amen. (laughs) Right. I, I, I hear you. I was sloughing off, but I'm just kidding. For some of us, our career is is in the one spot. And that's the thing. For some of us, it's our image, isn't it? I mean, we're so consumed, we're so concerned with with the appearance that we give off to the people in our world. We got to drive the right car, we got to talk on the right phone, we got to wear the right clothes, they got to see us shopping at the right stores. Because keeping up our image to the outside world is the one. Some of us, it's our home. Ladies, some of you know what I'm talking about. There's that one wall in your house. That if I don't find the right picture that matches the vase and the table, I'll just die. You know what I'm talking about? So, I mean, we're just consumed with our house. It's like it's all got to be perfect. It's like, please do not walk on the carpet. Really, I have to take all my shoes outside in your garage to pretend, thank heavens, you know, who wouldn't want to get the carpet dirty, right? I mean, some of us, it's like our house, it's like our, it's our one, but some of us, the church is our one. It is possible for us to be so into the church and into serving and into ministry and what God's called us to do that we can actually allow the church to bump our relationship with God from the one spot. Some of us, it's our online presence. That we gotta, we gotta check our Facebook, or we gotta, we gotta update our Twitter status, or we gotta, you know, change our blog, and, and we're like so concerned. It's like we can't hardly sit at our desk for 30 minutes because if I don't update my Facebook status, people won't know what I'm doing right now. They might think I got injured in an accident. There's a number to call. Check the back of the yellow pages. Listen. Listen, we live in a world that is warring for the priority of the one in our life. And anytime a marriage begins to get in trouble, anytime a marriage begins to hit rocky, rocky seas, it's always because we've allowed something to knock God and our relationship with him out of the one spot or knock our spouse out of the two spot. Anytime. Look at the verse again. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the one. This is the first and greatest commandment. Everything else must come under the authority. Everything else. Here's a third thought. We're called to protect this priority. We we are called 
As Christians, we are called as husbands, we're called as wives to protect this priority. I recognize that the, the, the content of my message today is a simple one, but here's what I believe. I believe that this must get down into us or our marriages will never be right. That we're called to, to not just go, yeah, bro, that's good preaching. Keep God as the one. I like that. My spouse is the two. I like that. No, 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 no. Guys, we got it. Let me challenge us a little bit. Hard-hitting warning light right there. Bam. I'm about to hard hit for a sec. You ready? Listen. We're called to protect this priority. God is the one. My spouse is the two. Everything else, my job, my kids, my Facebook status, everything else underneath my career, everything else underneath that. Men, let me speak to us just for for a minute. Because men, if you're anything like me, you know, husbands, you know, there's nothing you wouldn't do to protect your family and your wife, right? I mean, there's, okay, listen, I may, it, may, it may not be intimidating on the outside, but listen, I'm like a rabid cheetah on the inside. I know, I know, I know. Guys, we all know it's true, right? I mean, we all know that, man, like if somebody broke into our house, some of us, you're like, look at you like, bring it. <laughs> you're like, I got guns, I got nunchucks, I'm ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready, right? You're like, come on, let's do it. Man, we know, don't we? That physically, man, there's nothing we, that, that anyone could do that wouldn't, would call it, we just, we jump in, in front. We do it. We protect our wives. We protect our kids. Well, men, I want to challenge us today. Because it's great that we'd all like die for our family and that'd be like the ultimate heroic and like tattoo me before they bury me type of, right? I mean, all of us, we'd be like, man, we'll die for our family. But men, can I challenge us? Are we willing to live for our family? Are we willing to not just protect our families physically with nunchucks and such? Are we willing to begin protecting the priority of God first in our family? Are we willing, if we have teenagers, to say, I'm going to get up after a long day at work and I'm going to drive my kids to student ministry because I've got to protect the priorities of God first in my family's life. I'm going to make sure my family is here on Sunday mornings. I'm going to protect my, my time of studying the Bible and reading and praying together with my spouse. Are we willing to fight for that? Because it sure is fun, man, to stand in here and be all like, come on, bring it, don't mess with my kids and my wife. Okay, great, but listen, will we fight for the priorities? Because we live in a world that is warring against them. Will we fight for, for, to protect our wives emotionally, relationally? Will we fight, men, for our wives to protect her so that she, so that she can rest assured that we're not looking at stuff we shouldn't be looking at on the internet. That we're not, we're not, our, we're not lusting at the mall after other girls. Will we fight for that, men? Will we fight to protect our families financially. What does that mean? It means not making crazy, irrational, immature decisions, irresponsible decisions with money, not buying things we can't afford. Are we willing to fight to protect our wife in that? Are we willing men to take the lead in our homes and fight against a culture that is warring against us to knock God out of the one spot and replace it with anything and everything else? Men, are we willing to protect the priorities? Ladies, let me ask you a question. Oh, great. 
And all the men said, Amen. That's the loudest amen I ever got from the brothers. Okay, listen. Ladies, Sarah and I were talking about this this week. Because there's a, there's a really good chance that the vast majority of us wives, are uh, uh, not us wives, you wives. Uh, well, I always try and use inclusive language to make everybody feel at ease. He's not preaching at me. He's talking with me. Okay, that's great preaching until you start talking to women. And then you can't use us, so I'll do my best. We'll do our best, won't we, ladies? Okay. <laughs> Cue the scary music. <laughs> Just sit down, Matt. Just sit down. <laughs> Why did I get all jumpy when I started talking to the ladies? Like, whoa! Anyway, somebody have a water bottle? <laughs> ladies, listen, here's what I know. I know that the reality for most wives is that you're probably in a double income situation in your marriage, in your home, where you're having to work a full-time job as well as take care of your house, take care of the kids, make sure the laundry's done, not to mention take care of us, your needy, 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 needy husband. You've got all of these things that are on your plate, ladies. And so I want you to know that if I could say anything to you, and Sarah and I talked about this, if if we could say anything, wives, I think it would be this, to, to, to be honest about the fact that it's not easy. And recognize that God's, God's okay with that, that God understands that, that there's no guilt or condemnation for that. But the Bible, the same Bible that says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, also says, be still and know that I am, I am God. And ladies, let me just challenge you ever so gently as a pastor to, to, to do whatever you have to do to begin to build in that time with Jesus into your day, to, to fight for the few minutes where you can be still and know that he is God. That's why I love soap, our, our soap and our soap guides. If, you've, if you don't have one of these, you don't know what it is, it's on the back of your bulletin there. It's nextlevelchurch.com backslash soap. This is the way we study and read the Bible every day together. And this is, an un, this is the easiest way I have ever found to be able, anywhere, anytime, to be able to get a personal word from the word of God, from, from God himself to speak to our heart. Uh, that's why we do this. And, and ladies, prioritize that in. Prioritize that 10 or 15 minutes that it takes to read a chapter and unpack it with a journal and say, God, that's a personal word for me. Ladies, I think I would, I would say that you're going to have to plan him in. If you're waiting for time to just appear inside of the busyness and hecticness of double income and car payments and cleaning the house and doing the laundry and taking care of kids and husbands and all that is your world, you're going to have to fight for that time. And maybe some of us right now, I think, are even struggling with being honest, but I think that's a piece of it. To be able to say, God, I'm not there, but I'd love to be. And if you'll lead me in this process, if you'll guide me in this process, if you'll help me in this process, I would love to be closer to you. I think it's about living with a God consciousness throughout your day, developing this ability as a wife to, to go throughout your day where if you're sitting at your office or you're waiting in the carpool line at school, that you're able to know that God is with you in those moments. You're able to be in communion, if you will, connection with your loving Heavenly Father. Because it's worth it. Keeping him as the one is worth it. And let me say a word to all of us married people as couples. If there's anything that I can say in terms of this idea that Jesus wants to be the one and he wants our spouse or our marriage to be the two, it's that I think so many of us who, who are married 
we're going to have to learn to say no to the good so we can say yes to the best. And I think perhaps what so many of us might need in this moment is permission. We need permission for someone to tell us that it's okay to pass up a really good opportunity for the sake of your husband, for the sake of your wife, for the sake of your marriage, or for the sake of your relationship with God. God is the one, our spouse is the two. Well, I want you to know this morning, if you're listening or you're watching or you're here in the room, listen, you have permission. You have permission to pass up the good, to say no to the good, so that you can prioritize the best, which is your marriage. Listen, we live in a culture where no one, no one is gonna fight for your marriage except for you. Culture's not gonna do it, TV's not gonna do it, Oprah's not gonna do it. There's only one, two people who are ever on the planet gonna fight for your marriage the way it needs to be fighted for. Fight, fighted, fought, fought it. Water people, get me some water. And that's you and your husband, or you and your wife. And if you don't fight for your marriage, listen, no one else will. If you don't fight for the best, which is one man and one woman, madly crazy in love with each other, no one else in our world will. And you have permission today to say no to the good so you can say yes to the best. And let me take just another minute, kind of push back on this whole, my spouse is my two thing, because I'm, I'm sure there are some of us who are listening today, and you're, you're struggling with that. You're going, no, my, I, I'm supposed to be number one in their life. I, my, my, they're supposed to be number one in my, in my heart, in my life. And it kind of feels almost disloyal of sorts to say that your spouse is number two. Listen, ladies, you want your husband to have Jesus as the one because you will get a better husband, you will get a better dad if he's submitted at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Men, listen, you will get a better wife, you will get a better mother of your children if she is submitted at the foot of the cross. Why? Why? Listen, because everything we could want in a husband, everything we could want in a wife, that they would be more loving, that they would be more joyful, that they'd be, be more peaceful, that they'd be more patient or kind, that they'd be more good or faithful that they'd be more gentle or that they'd be a person of self-control. Everything we could possibly want our husband or our wife to be is found when they are submitted under the one, under their relationship with God. Because see, the Bible tells us that when you and I enter into relationship with him, we put our faith in him and he is the one in our life. That he puts his Holy Spirit in us. And check this out. When the Holy Spirit comes into us and begins to work on our heart, the Bible says that there are some things that begin to appear in our life. The Bible calls them the fruit of the Spirit. So watch this. 
When your husband or your wife has Jesus as the one and his Holy Spirit is working diligently in their heart, guess what? They'll begin to display the fruit of the Spirit in your home, in your marriage, and suddenly they'll begin to be more loving, more joy-filled, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good, more gentle, more faithful, more self-controlled. The man of your dreams, the woman of your dreams is found. That man or woman is completely submitted at the foot of the cross and the fruit of the Spirit is coming alive in their heart and their life. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. How do I feel about being Sarah's number two? It's great. And here's why. Because if if I'm number one in my spouse's life, watch this then anything I want done in them, anything I wish would happen to them, that they'd be more loving, they'd be more peaceful, they'd be more joy-filled, they'd be more patient, they'd be more kind, they'd be more good. Any of those good things I want to happen in them, it is suddenly, because I'm the one in their life, it is now my responsibility to make sure that that happens. And I'll be honest with you, I don't want that kind of pressure. Listen, this is going to set somebody's marriage free right here. Because some of us, We have been working so hard for so long thinking we had to be the one in our spouse's life and that it was up to us to make him more patient, to make him more peaceful, to make him more self-controlled, to make her more joy-filled, to make her more loving, to make her more kind or good, to make him more faithful. We have thought that it was up to us to manipulate him or to hold it over her head or to try and work the circumstances of our marriage so that that person we're married to would become everything we hoped that they would become. Listen, this is going to set you free right now. That's not your job. Let God be the one in their life. You be the two. And when Jesus starts working on a heart, you'll get the loving man. You'll get the joy-filled woman. You'll get the peaceful man. You'll get the patient wife. You'll get the kind. You'll get the good. You'll get the gentle. You'll get the faithful. You'll get the self-control. Why? Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God produces in a life who is submitted to Him being the one. So listen, if you got pushback on that whole spouse being the two thing, listen, again, you don't want to be somebody's number one. You want Jesus to be the one. And you get to be the two because that takes all the pressure off. All the pressure off. So here's what we're going to do as we close this morning. I want to ask you a couple of questions. The first question is this. Is Jesus your one? Is he your number one? Is he the number one priority of your life? And for some of us, we've never been in relationship with Jesus. We've never known what it is to step across that line of faith. For some of us, maybe we've been burned by church in the past, and so we've run from God, and we've kind of lumped God and his church all together, and we've said, you know what, I just forget it all. And you've got something other than God as the one in your life. For some of us, we, maybe we've... we've we're a Christian and we were in relationship with Jesus. He was the one, but we've made decisions in our life that have led us off of that course. And if that's the case, I want to give you an opportunity today to allow Jesus to become the number one again in your life for the first time. So as we close this morning, can we just bow our heads just for a moment? Because God is here and he's, he wants to do business in our heart. 
So Jesus, we invite you and we say, do it. We give you permission, Lord. We open up, we pause, and we say, Jesus, do what you want to do in our hearts. In the spirit of prayer, I want to ask you a question. If you're not in relationship with God, this can be your moment. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus number one in your life. Or maybe he was number one a while back, but you've walked away from that. I want to give you an opportunity to put him back on the throne as the one. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is just a personal moment between you, me, and Jesus. Would you just, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now? I want to pray for you. One, two, three. All across this room. Awesome. Wow. Wow. Others of you? Others of you, you just say, Matt, Jesus isn't the one, but I need him to be. I need Jesus to be the one. Anybody else? In, this, in the stillness of this moment. Awesome. 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 God's touching so many hearts right now. Father, you see so many hands that were raised. Each one of them a life. Each life a story. Jesus, I thank you that in the stillness of this moment, this day, you're intersecting our story. So Lord, I pray to you on behalf of so many who lifted their hand right now. And I say, God, we respond. For the person who's here who's never been in relationship with you before, Lord, this is their moment. This is their that day. So Jesus, on behalf of that person, we just acknowledge that our sin separates us from you and your blood on the cross was sufficient payment for said sin. And Lord, when we acknowledge that and we receive your work on the cross for payment for our sin, the Bible makes it clear that relationship has begun. And so Lord, we, we walk in that relationship. We receive that now. We receive you now. We receive the Holy Spirit we were talking about earlier into our heart. Jesus, for so many others who lifted their hand in this moment to acknowledge that something other than you has become the one. Lord, we pray for them as well. And God, right now, in the stillness of this moment, with your Holy Spirit's help, we just begin to pull down that which has been the one off of the throne of our life. And we begin to say, Jesus, I want you to be in that place. You alone, you alone. We pull our career off. We pull our kids off. We pull our spouse off. We pull our image off. God, we pull these things off of the throne. And we say, Jesus, be the one. 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 Still in this spirit of prayer, I want to pray for marriages today because I just know that there are a lot of us who've come into this place or listening or watching today the internet and your marriage is not what you want it to be and you're on the edge and you've you've been tempted to chuck it you've been tempted to, to cut bait and run you've been tempted to give up and so right now in a spirit of prayer i just speak blessing over these marriages god i just Right now in this moment, speak blessing. I, I speak courage for husbands to begin to fight for priorities. I speak courage for wives to begin to prioritize you as the one, their spouses, the two, and everything under that. I, I, I pray for courage for couples to begin to fight for their marriage, to say no to the good so they can say yes to the best. God, I pray for that, Jesus. I pray that miracles would be done over the course of this month, God. I pray that divorce papers would be ripped up. 
pray that communication lines would be opened up. Jesus, we vow to make you the number one priority in our lives. To make our spouse the number two. So Father, thank you in the stillness of this moment for touching marriages today. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for opportunity. Thank you, God, for hope again in our marriages. God, I pray for hope. Lord, for people who have lost hope, I pray for hope. God, I pray for hope. Thank you that you're the giver of life. You're the giver of grace. You are the giver of hope. It's in Jesus' name, the name that's above every name that we pray and ask all these things. And all across this room, everybody said, amen. Come on, let's just applaud the Lord. He's good.